Georgia has its man at quarterback. ACC expansion, not dead yet, but is it feeling much better? And finally, after a long summer of waiting, Week Zero is here. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, August 21st. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with you. Pete Thamel coming off vacation. Vacation, which I'm sure was marred by realignment telephone calls and ACC expansion with Stanford and Cal. So that seems to be dead in the water, except that they 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 keep doing the float. They keep hanging on. Wait, what's the status of that here? Yeah, it's interesting. Like Stanford doesn't want it to die, Reese. Does that make sense? Because like they have a series of bad options and the... Uh, they are going to try to take the least bad. Um, so they've completely offered themselves to the Big Ten. From what my understanding is, there's some presidential interest in the Big Ten level. There is not much athletic director interest, nor is there much television interest. Um, when Stanford and Cowher floated initially, uh, you know, an iteration back when Kevin Warren was the chancellor, the notion in TV circles was they basically didn't need another Rutgers, Maryland type. Uh, content combo. So I don't think they end up in the Big Ten, but you can never underestimate the power of Stanford and the power of presidents, right? So then you shift and you go to the ACC. There is some actual interest in the ACC, but it's this really interesting confluence of agendas right now in that league. Um, there are some who have sort of conceded that Florida State and Clemson are going to try to the, to fight out the legal thicket to leave. So they're like, well, there's some safety in numbers with Cal and Stanford. There's some academic uh, associations we'd like with them. And there's some pretty good programs who are a lot like some of our programs. Um, the problem is that no one has been able to present or strike a deal that would make the voting block that's against Cal and Stanford right now vote for them. And that would be the, the Clemson, Florida State, UNC, NC State voting block. And so They'd be interested in theory. They're interested in more money. And so if if Cara, if, uh, if Cal and Stanford, Calford, as they're being called, <laughs> were a way to get more money, they would probably be interested in that. But there has been a significant lack of kind of deal-making from the ACC, Commissioner Jim Phillips and such right now to where this has – it is not flatlined, but I would say that, that any movement has plateaued right now. Um, but – Cal and Stanford haven't shifted to other options yet. And don't underestimate all the B's in Stanford's billions, like for them to like creativity comes with money Mm -hmm. in in college athletics. And so, um, and there is a, there is a good brand association. So it is not dead. I think we reported a week and a half ago, there's significant roadblocks. The road is blocked right now, but uh, money has a way to unblock roads. So I would say it's still unlikely but we're, the, uh, the coffin is not nailed shut yet on that cross-continental idea that I know, Reese Davis, you No, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. But aside from the whole business model of it, just from the football standpoint of it, the idea of Calford might be the way to go. You just merged merge teams, <laughs> which certainly has some significant holes, particularly Stanford, from a talent standpoint, though they have a, a few good players, a few standout players. Everybody who plays at that level is a good player. So let me let me be yes. make uh 
the clear point there. Everybody at that level is a good player. In terms of difference makers, they probably have a couple. And maybe if you merge uh, mm-hmm. merge Stanford and Cal together, then maybe just from a um, from a stunt standpoint, that would be interesting. Just have Calford come in and play some games and see how it goes. Yeah, the way the model looks right now, basically, Stanford would be coming for less money than Cal. Cal's athletic department is in a tar pit of debt. Mm-hmm. And so they're really, they really have only bad options there because, and again, Washington State has a bunch of debt. Like all these places budgeted to make 30 million a year, right? Conservatively. And now all of a sudden, if you go to the Mountain West, you might make 10 if you can strike a sweetheart deal. So it's just like, I think anyone like, our family budget, if it was 60% less, would probably You'd be, feel it. you know, probably not. Yeah. So like, I just, I have a lot of empathy for those schools um, just because like, there's going to be a lot of jobs lost. There's going to be a lot of attrition. There's going to be a, a lot of kids transferring because it wasn't what they signed up for. It actually isn't the experience you signed up for. So those places are really in the, in, in the thicket of it. And uh, Kirk Schultz, the Washington state president, we interviewed him a couple weeks ago and uh, for an ESPN.com story. And I, I thought he was very blunt. Just, he was like, this isn't a budget thing. He's like, lives are changing here. And this is like, it, it's a, it's a really tough human thing to go through. So, um, and that the uncertainty isn't going to help, isn't going to help anybody. As we continue our conference previews, we will take a look in just a few minutes at the ACC as it currently stands, its current membership without the addition of Cal Stanford or Calford or the departure of anyone who might be trying to find a way to break away from the grant of rights. Everybody in the sport, though, before we get to that, is chasing Georgia, and you're not going to want to miss the College Game Day podcast. Not that you ever do, but you're not going to want to miss on Wednesday. We're going to spend a half hour with Kirby Smart on Wednesday. We'll not only talk about the season, but all kinds of things uh, surrounding the three-peat, surrounding the offseason at Georgia, which has certainly had its share of challenges, and Kirby's been gracious enough to uh, give us a half hour right in the middle of camp before the dogs open up their season a week from Saturday. Uh, And in the meantime, he at least has one issue settled, and I'm not sure that it's a giant surprise, but Carson Beck is the starting quarterback for Georgia, following in the footsteps of Stetson Bennett. Uh, I think one of the most compelling things about Carson Beck is not only that he's a really talented guy, everyone knows this, But when it didn't quite go his way earlier in his career at Georgia, he stuck around and waited it out. Now he's getting his opportunity. When JT Daniels, and I've told this story on the podcast before from people close to the program, when JT Daniels uh, got hurt in, I guess that was 21, um, Carson Beck was the guy that they thought they were going to go to until until JT healed up. And as it turned out in practice that week, they found out talented, still young. And Stetson took over and never really looked back from that point. That could be a disillusioning moment for a lot of young quarterbacks in this generation. I think it speaks well for Carson that he stuck around. And now he's going to get a, he's more mature, more physically developed. And, you know, from all reports from Georgia practices, he's looked very, very good, both in the spring and in fall camp so far. Yeah, I, I'll be, I'll be curious for, for a guy who comes into this position on the precipice of history where only a three-peat will do, right, Reese? Like that's the, yeah, like it's it, we don't know a lot about Carson Beck. I don't know a lot about Carson Beck. I know he's from Jacksonville. I know you know he's he's flashed at times. Duval, yeah, he's uh, 
There we go. There we go. I'm sure you can share your Jags fandom with him. I'm sure his is more authentic than Maybe. yours. Mine's new. Um, yeah. It's an interesting moment in time for, for Carson Beck. It's the ultimate don't screw it up kid job. You know, like that's basically what he's being handed right now. And so it, I just I just wonder about his intangibles, right? Like, is he built for this moment? I, I like the guys who wait around a little bit and grow and learn. Um, again, I'm not yelling at the cloud and saying everything, you know, should be like it was in the 90s or whatever. But like there is a development aspect to that position that can get deterred some when you keep moving around and you keep having different coordinators. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I am curious for the Carson Beck era because it has come in with a whisper. And you know what, Pete, you bring up something that people are totally, uh, overlooking. And sometimes I have to remind myself of it with Georgia. It's not just a change in quarterback. They're changing coordinators too. Uh, Todd Munkin's gone. Mike Bobo highly regarded in coaching circles, but you know, in, in all, it's been a few years since either as head coach or coordinator, since Mike had a, you know, really top flight explosive offense, but he's also a pro style guy and Georgia can lean on the running game. And that seems to, seems to fit in his profile over the course of his career. Highly respected guy, veteran guys, been a head coach. So I don't think there's any big drop off coming, but it is a change. It's, it's a different, it's a different perspective from the offensive coordinator spot for Georgia and everything, everything you do is an adjustment. And, but quarterback change, your OC changes, and maybe it's a perfect fit for Georgia. I guess we'll find out in the, in the early going of the season. Yeah, for the aura of invincibility we've put around Georgia in this run, they've been very fallible. They were fallible in Columbia last year when they could have lost to Missouri. They probably should have lost to Ohio State when you look back to to that game. And then improbable two touchdown comeback in the in the fourth quarter. And and all that's to be said, like sometimes you gotta call some great plays, man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And sometimes the the defensive back has to trip over his own feet so uh AD Mitchell can can streak down the field for a touchdown that that turns the tide of the game. And you know, sometimes you need a little Stetson Bennett magic where he can sort of streak around and find Brock Bowers for for a 20-yard gain to move the chain. So, yeah, like there there is uh, – one of the things I love about this season, Reese, as it's sort of playing out to the backdrop of uh, REMs, it's the end of the world as you know it. Um, I, I don't think that Georgia and the predictable crew are that far ahead. Like I don't think the difference between one and seven maybe, one and eight, is all that different. Um just talked to a bunch of scouts for a story I'm going to do this week on, uh, you know, Drake May versus Caleb Williams, right? The defining draft debate of the season. And these guys are all, hey, uh, you know, you catch him. I'm in this Midwest town. So, hey, what'd you think? What'd you think? And like, you know, guys are really high on the depth of talent at Texas in a, in a, in a way that maybe I wouldn't have thought. Um, guys are really high on the depth of talent at Michigan in a way that in a different way, they're in the conversation. Ohio State on defense all those young guys have grown up and that obviously that unit has failed in big spots, but there is a collection of talent there that scouts are really curious about Penn state. So then when you go past the sort of Georgia, Alabama, you know, like predictable high end SEC folks, um, there, there, there's some new entrance to the conversation. And again, we don't root for anybody, but I like it when it's, when the line is thin, right? It's more fun when the line is thin for, for the job we do for, for new faces. We're talking about Clemson today. You know, I don't think they're that far off. Um, I have some questions, but uh, you know, so I just think there's, there's an interesting medley right now and it's fun to have some potential breakthrough programs in the mix to potentially challenge Georgia.
you want you want to jump in you want to jump in with these ACC previews you're ready to go down the list here let's go okay I want to I want to give you a little bit of history about the ACC in terms of how we think of the powers okay now in, in recent years obviously Clemson they won eight ACC titles under Dabo Sweeney been in the playoffs six times Florida State hasn't won an ACC title since 14. They're in it. But here, here are the ones. As we talk about North Carolina, North Carolina State particularly, and can they finally break through? North Carolina hasn't won the ACC since the end of the Carter administration. Same for North Carolina State. Think about this, Pete. Maryland has won the ACC four times since North Carolina or North Carolina State did it. Georgia Tech and Virginia, who are expected to be horrific this year, maybe Georgia Tech improved a little. They have multiple ACC titles since the Heels or the Pack did it. Duke has won the ACC more recently than North Carolina and North Carolina State. Georgia Tech, you know, more than once, as we said, uh, Miami hasn't won the ACC and they played in the title game one time since joining the conference in 2004. They haven't won a conference title since they won the Big East. So as you start looking for breakthrough teams, you and you said maybe the line is thin, the question is, is that line thin in the ACC or is it same as it ever was? It's Clemson and maybe Florida State can clip them. And maybe there's one other uh, one other challenger in a given season that sort of rises up. The thing about NC State um, is that you always feel like they're right on the cusp of, mm-hmm. of doing something a little bit better than they have. But uh, I'm looking at my, my preseason notes here. They've got one 10 win season in their history. Um, you know, this last couple of years, they haven't been able to run the ball at all. So, you know, I know we want, we want to start, want to start at the top, I think. So I, I'm not sure NC state's quite good. Let's we'll start with NC state. Let's go ahead and start with them since we're on a little bit of their history yeah. and the, the change that they're going to make. They, they weren't great. Uh, in fact, they were poor on offense last year. They were about mm-hmm. minus 50 yards a game against ACC uh, competition. Of course, they got Devin Leary hurt. And they're making the changes that I alluded to earlier with Robert and I, who had great success with Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. Uh, but Brennan was not as successful last year in the Tony Elliott system. He's making he's making his move there. Um, you know, it's sort of, sort of funny. That guy, Armstrong, was a three-year captain at UVA. He was, he was on the grounds there as long as Mr. Jefferson was, it seems. But, you know, now he's going to be wearing a different colors. They've got a stud on defense and Peyton Wilson, who's been around for a long time. Um, you know, they, they did force a lot of turnovers last year with Tony Gibson, their defensive coordinator and Doran, as you mentioned, uh, second winning his coach in school history. He's had three nine win seasons. They haven't been able to break through. They open up with UConn. They get Notre Dame. That UConn game is dangerous, by the way. Uh, road game on a Thursday, Thursday night, night, week zero, which is oh, coming yeah. up. Yeah, didn't UConn stun Fresno yeah. early last year? Like, you know, they were thirty point underdogs or whatever. Looking at their schedule, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I 
you know, I wouldn't feel great. If I was Dave Doran, I would have butterflies in my stomach all day at my at that greater airport Marriott in Hartford. <laughs> you know, I mentioned them not being able to run the ball. Do you know they've got only one one running back scored a rushing touchdown last year and he transferred? That's wild. I mean, Demi Sumo Kongbai moved on. They did have 15 different players catch touchdown pass, but you know, you kind of wonder with uh uh, with an eye coming in, will they be able? They've got a mobile quarterback now. Will they be able to run the ball um, a little bit more? Let's have a look at the win total on uh, on NC State here as we start. The, okay, win total for NC State is a mere six and a half. Six and a half on the win total. Are you going over or under that? I'm gonna go over. I'm going to go over on that. I I feel like it's interesting that they host Notre Dame in week two, right? So say they 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 avoid the they don't take the cheese at UConn and they beat the Irish, they could go on a little bit of a run, like they like it's 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 there. Um, my question on NC State will be. Dave Doran is a conservative offensive coach who comes from a line background. Will he let Robert Anai and Brennan Armstrong be the same Robert Anai and Brennan Armstrong that they were at Virginia? Because NC State has skill. They have talent. Like they've had, you know, dudes drafted high. I just feel like something has held that program back for the sum to be, the sum has not been greater than the parts there. When you look back at uh, probably, especially the last the last five years or so, so I uh, I will be curious to see if Dave Doran's sort of smash mouth instincts get in the way of some of the beautiful football we saw Robert and I and Brandon Armstrong make at Virginia. That that is like the fundamental tension to me of State going forward. That said, they're talented enough where they should win seven games, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially because they've you know you, you have. Three non-power fives on there, right? So that means you got to go five hundred in the ACC, which they did last year. So I think they can, uh, I think they can squeeze that out. They have, I mean, if you're a season ticket holder, how about this home schedule? You have Notre Dame, Clemson, and Miami, and North Carolina. That's a pretty good, pretty good home schedule. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always hesitant. Just to, there's, there's been a, per, there's been a perpetual tease, and I'm always hesitant to think this is the year that they're gonna, you know rise past that but six and a half i'll take them. i'll take the over with that yeah. too i think they'll i think they'll win seven or eight i do think that doran will let brennan armstrong cook a little bit i guess to um draw a reference an old reference to a former north carolina state quarterback russell wilson i think i think they'll let him a little bit because they're they're sort of at an inflection point not that they're going to fall off and not be good but if they're ever going to get over the hump if they're ever going to, you know, kind of add a little more, um, a little more to that good, not great, good defensive line can't quite hurt you enough on offense uh, to win the biggest games, then this this would be the way to do it. And they have a couple of transfers coming in that should restock their defense. And you expect their defense to be good as it seemingly always is. It was really good last year. I think they held something like five opponents, maybe 17 points or fewer, something in that neighborhood. It was really good. On the opposite end of that, defense, not so much. Offense, really good, is North Carolina. They haven't won the ACC since 
the Dick Crum era in 1980. Uh, they've come close. They've had good teams. Larry Fedora has had some good teams. Max had some good teams since he's come back, but they haven't been able to win it. Now they've got the best quarterback in North Carolina history, one of the best in the country, going to be at worst, in my judgment, the second overall pick in the draft um, in Drake May. North Carolina legacy type guy. Families played, you know, played football there. Dad played football there. Brothers played basketball there. Um, they've got Miles Murphy on defense, who's a first team all ACC guy, who is at least a part to be able to build around. The guy who was supposed to be the primary receiving target, uh, Devontez Walker, the Kent State transfer. You've talked on this podcast a little bit about his NCAA travails. I've seen. Uh, in recent days that North Carolina has some optimism. Have I missed, Have they? has there been an updated ruling on that? Has there been any relief granted that would allow uh, Tess Walker to play this year? Have you seen that or sensed any momentum in that direction for them? So it's Monday morning. I actually uh, shot a few texts around this morning to get an update on that. And there is no answer yet. Um, and there's no timeline because it's the NCAA. So they just make it up as they go along and they're making it up as they go along here. My personal opinion, just from covering hundreds of these cases over 20 years, is that there's enough firepower here where in, in his case, there's like three or four pretty good arguments. There's almost too many good arguments. <laughs> it like dilutes the strength of one good argument in some ways. Um, I, I think he will end up playing, but I'm sh- I hope nobody's betting their mortgage on our over under picks. But if you were going to uh, if you were going to invest in North Carolina, by the way, perpetually underachieving North Carolina. So be careful what you wish for uh, with your investments. But I would wait to make sure Tez Walker is playing before I uh, before I put an over investment in. Um, he is a pivotal part of what they do. And I feel like there's a pretty significant drop off to their next best receiver. So. Um, yeah, I would just have some, I would have some assuredness there in, uh, in that also they've practiced with him as their number one receiver for a spring and half a fall. So that's, again, I'm not going to repeat my rant, but that's the, the difficulty of kneecapping a kid in mid August is that it just, it gums up his life. It's not great for the program. It's a terrible look for the NCA who will just, they will get filleted. If we have to sit there on game day, that first Saturday and talk about Tez Walker not playing and why. It's just, it's a terrible look for them. So um, I'm optimistic about his case, but that is based simply on the case and not like sources in Indianapolis or even in Chapel Hill. So um, there, there are as much as we crushed their defense and they've earned it. I mean, they gave up almost 31 points a game. Their defense SP plus with Bill Connolly was 105, which is in the bottom 25, 26 in the country. But they had some problems on offense that need to get, fixed as well even with Drake May at quarterback they gave up 40 sacks that was in the bottom 20 of the country Drake May wound up being their leading rusher which can't happen this year if they're going to be good they're going to have to be able to run it for their offensive linemen are back they've got some transfers coming in they've got you know the career starts numbers look pretty good it's in the 130s when you add all of it together guys who've started other places that type of thing They've got some experience coming back at tight end. They certainly need Tez Walker at wide receiver because other than Josh Downs, that was one of the issues that they had at times last year was, you know, go-to receivers. The South Carolina game where college game day will be in Charlotte will be big. 
We know the wild Appalachian State game that they played last year. That's the following week. Then they get Minnesota. Then they go to Pittsburgh. They're going to be baptized really, really fast to find out how good they are. They're also uh, coming in on a four-game losing streak. They lost their last four, including the bowl game, got hammered by Clemson in the ACC championship game, got beat by Georgia Tech. You know, so there were some bad losses in there, and they let, you know, they let Oregon come back and clip them by a point in the bowl game. So even with some of the positives, there's a reeling factor about North Carolina, and it could also be either solved or exacerbated by the start of their season, which doesn't it doesn't jump off the page as like, holy cow, that's a brutal start. But if you really look mm-hmm. at it, did you really look at mm-hmm. any of those four games and maybe Appalachian State? But any, but Max had problems with them historically, uh, dating, dating back quite some years. You look at any of them and go, well, that's a stone cold lock. That's an absolute win. There's no way they can lose. I say there, I say any of those four look like that. And those, those first four weeks for North Carolina will determine, uh, whether they have a good season or mediocre to bad season. Yeah, I probably have used this stat too much on this podcast. I never know like what what's like the the right time to like redrop a little breadcrumb of goodness, but they gave up forty points in the fourth quarter to App State last year and lost and won. Sorry, App State scored forty and lost. So, and it was not a good App State team. It was a mediocre App State team. So uh, that was probably the low point to Gene Chizik's defense, which did like get better, but they honestly couldn't have gotten worse. So, um, yeah, again. A similar thing that I said about NC State, I believe about Mac Brown at Carolina. I don't believe the sum has been better than the parts. They've recruited good parts. They've had good pro guys. It just hasn't synced up. It, there has not been complimentary football. Like I just wonder if their evolution to less tempo and maybe a little more traditional offense and showcasing Drake May allows a little more synchronicity and harmony in that program. And it allows them to just be a better program and not so off- offensive-oriented that it, it, it things line up uh, a little bit better. But I will say this about North Carolina at this point, and this is a little bit about some of Max later teams at Texas. There was always an argument about collective toughness. Like, did Mac have his thumb down enough? Did the strength coach have enough latitude to really push guys? And when you look at losing your last four games, and you probably should have won at least two of them, that's when you say, okay, is the, is the whole program pushing in the right direction? Is the development there? Is the toughness there? Uh, we know who Drake May is, but if he gets annihilated like he did last year because they can't block or he doesn't have anybody to throw to, like I just see, uh, yeah, I see a lot of like pop whack-a-moles popping up on the, on the path of, of North Carolina being a contender in the ACC. So I will, I will remain a skeptic. Like if, South Carolina goes down there that first Saturday, Reese, and ragdolls them around a little bit like an SEC team, you know, would like to think they could do to an ACC team. It wouldn't shock me. North Carolina right now under Mac is in a prove it mode to me. They brought in some fancy toys, but they really haven't when the rubbers met the road, won games consistently and shown they can punch programs in the mouth. As it pertains to momentum in the program, which is sort of what you're talking about, All momentum will be lost if they don't perform at a high level this year because you have the best quarterback you've ever had. 
Hard to believe that in the next few years, you're going to have one better than this guy at North Carolina. You better get it done now. You also have, uh, maybe you don't have a lot of elite defensive players, but you've got at least one up front. Uh, they did lose a cornerback uh, to Texas A&M transfer, Tony Grimes, who was one of those nice pieces that you talked about being recruited. Now he's playing for Texas A&M and perhaps the most uh, disappointing transfer of the offseason to me because of where he chose to go was Storm Duck, who transferred to Louisville rather than Oregon. There's just no excuse for that. Uh, not a guy named Storm Duck not playing for Oregon, but he's not playing for North Carolina, which is uh, not great. Uh, I believe they get Tamari Fox back, who I don't think was eligible last year. He's got some, uh, you know, he's got some experience on defense that could help them. But they've got to get it done. And the over uh, over under total, the win total, I should say for them is eight and a half. And as much as I like Drake May. I look at that schedule early, and I don't have confidence that they're going to win all of those games. Middle of the season, I feel like they should go on a little run. Then they finish on mm-hmm. the road at Clemson, at North Carolina State. Um, I, I'm I'm going to take half game under. I'm going to say they go. I'm going to say they go uh, eight yeah. and four. And because I'm sort of like you, I I love Drake May. I think he's going to be a terrific pro, if not a superstar pro. And he ought to be able to elevate guys around him. I get that. But, man, they're going to have to protect him. They're going to have to stop somebody sometime. And they haven't done it so far. So, until then, I'll I'll say they come up a half game short and and sort of do the traditional thing and go eight and four again. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's a really interesting test for the criticism that I gave them uh, that September. Are they tough enough and can they be pushed around? Well, South Carolina has turned into a tough, tough out, right? So, that's a big test. You have some big physical SEC D-line guys early. Minnesota is a program that P.J. Fleck has built on Smash Mouth, right? They, I believe you had the stat in the Big Ten, Reese. They ran the ball more than any other program in college football percentage-wise last year, right? Yes. With Mo Ibrahim, yeah. wasn't that the stat? Yeah. Okay. Ibrahim, yeah. But yeah, that is a big physical – again, they don't have the same tackles. But like you, you, you remember the archetype of their tackles, the 6'8 dudes, dudes getting drafted. Um, they have Quinn Carroll. So anyway, that is a that is a – culture smash mouth game. And then at Pitt is the kind of game that I expect North Carolina to lose. So if they can go toe to toe with three and App state is obviously no pushover. There, there's certainly a, a collective callous that, that they've earned there, even in not in their best years. So if they can go toe to toe, especially with South Carolina, especially with Minnesota and then at Pittsburgh, I would really think that, okay, this is a different North Carolina, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait till Columbus day before I pass any judgments or, or, or foster any optimism. Agreed. Let's go to a team that I think we both believe in, but we're about to find out just how much Florida state opens week one with the game of the weekend on Sunday night in Orlando against LSU. They've got 17 starters or so back, depending on how you, count returning starters. They've got a quarterback in Jordan Travis who's been there forever and he's also improved especially in the passing game. They've got big play receivers, Johnny Wilson leading the way. They got Keon Coleman to transfer from Michigan State. They've got a stud running back and Trey Benson. They got a transfer tight end from South Carolina who's really talented and we've brought up this stat a few times on the podcast, uh, Jaheim Bell if I didn't say his name from South Carolina. 
And we've brought up this stat, which Pete, I think, brought up on the Florida State spring game too. They have over 200 starts returning on the offensive line when you go on down the depth chart with guys who will be in the rotation. They've got a first-round draft pick rushing the passer and Jared Verse, who had nine sacks last year, the former Albany transfer. Got Patrick Payton, who's the ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year last year, who had five sacks. They're loaded, man. They're loaded. They led the conference in rushing last year. They're top 10 in returning, uh, returning production. And, you know, their rush defense was a little shaky, but they can rush the passer. They beat Miami and Florida for the, and Florida for the first time since 2016 in the same season. And even in their three losses last year, they outgained their opponents by an average of 158 yards per game. If not now, when? Florida State, if not now, when to win the ACC? I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump to the front of the line here. The win totals nine and a half. They've got LSU. They're at Clemson. They're at Pittsburgh. And whatever you think of Florida, it is at least a road game and a rivalry game. They're at Florida, and still, and still, do I have a shred of doubt somewhere back there from recent Seminole teams, kind of? Uh, not living up to expectations. Sure, I do. But if not now, when, Florida State? If not now, when? I'll take the over and say they win the ACC. Well, I hate it when we agree because we usually do a pretty good job disagreeing. Um, but I really, I'm I'm in, and I think like I started to nibble on the Florida State cheese uh, when I when I did their spring game, and I saw not only the depth on the O line, which I just think I you can't overstate because guys get hurt, you know, and and th- yeah, it kills people sometimes when they get hurt. But you also have it on on the D line now. Daryl Jackson uh, is another waiver case that we're going to follow closely. But Braden Fisk was the best D lineman in the MAC last year. Essentially, he's there. Fabian Lovett comes back um, as as a senior. Jared Verse comes back and is a top ten pick. Like they just they just have the depth on the uh, on the D-line. I am a little scared if we have to nitpick here what happens at linebacker um, after Bethune and Deloach. Uh, they're kind of a base nickel team. Uh, they only really play two linebackers. That is an area where they are thin. They are not SEC level. So I have some concern there. But uh, I just love Jordan Travis, the veteran who's been through it all and has, has seen it go. Um, you know, and I really think that Keon Coleman, Reese, who you mentioned the transfer from uh, Michigan State, I think he's a guy who we could be talking about as a top 40 NFL pick. Um, you know, remember, he played basketball for Izzo there. Uh, he's a freak, man. And uh, he's a guy that the scout world and agent world has really started to focus in on as a guy who can really uh, who could really break through this year. So I just think they have a ton of pieces and a ton of places. You got Jaheim Bell at tight end, who was really a dynamic playmaker at uh, at South Carolina before he came over. I'm I'm a I'm a big fan all not only of the current talent, but how a lot of that talent has grown up and lost games and Ben Callist and Ben Bood, and now they're in position to 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 break through. Uh, I just I just really like where Mike Norvell has this program now. So I'm 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 all in on the uh, on the Knowles, and you know maybe you and I can watch our watch our prediction not come true live on the sideline in Clemson. Uh, in late it, it still might. That was going to be yeah. my that was going to be my next point, Pete. And I'm I'm ready to take the slings and arrows when you know when they lose to LSU and Clemson, and I won't even fight back 
if they get stomped in those two games. And by the way, by saying it, phrasing it that way, I'm not predicting that will happen. I'm saying if they lose both games and if they get stomped, I won't fight back. But if they if they lose a great one-possession game to LSU and then go to Clemson and Clemson kicks a field goal and beats them at the end, I'm not quitting on them. You know, not then, depending on how they look. Now, if they get stomped, you know, or look overmatched, that's a different thing. And I'll say, yep, you're right. I was wrong. I think they can still lose both of those games. Certainly, they can still win the ACC. But I think there's a there's a scenario where they could still make the playoff. It has to be – It has. they have to look great. They have to look great both times, and they still have to follow up by winning the ACC. But, you know, they – and if they split them, certainly everybody knows they could – you know, they could – still go on and win it all. So that September we'll know a lot and and you're right. It will be it will be it will be something to watch not only whether they win the games but how they play. If they win both games, well then then forget about it. They're they're steamrolling from that point forward because you know they've got a couple of of toughies but you know November trip to Pittsburgh would be dicey but if they get if they were to get through September, reach that open date the final Saturday of September and they're undefeated Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, all at home. Um, you know, then at, at Wake, which I feel like sort of probably in a rebuilding transition year, then at Pitt, Miami at home, and then Florida on the road, they're kind of rolling. Um, but that, that that's a tall task to ask them to get through that undefeated. If they split that and play competitively in both games, then, then I think you're looking at a, a contender for the rest of the season. Which brings us to poor old Clemson. Reese and Pete hate Clemson, disrespecting them. They're on the rest of y'all bus. They're no good, blah, blah, blah. Well, in our defense, we hated them last year when their offense was impossible <laughs> to watch. True. So yeah. I remember Tim Bray like sort of like snark tweeting me because I dared mention they might need a new offensive coordinator on game. Oh, oh, well, oh, how about how about that? Uh, how about that little uh, snark response, though, from you? Because as it turns out, Clemson has a new offensive coordinator in Garrett Riley, who who led or helped lead the TCU offense to the national championship game. Wes Goodwin returns as a defensive coordinator, and there's so much hype and expectation around Cade Klubnick in this offense. And he looked good at times late, looked a little overmatched at times against Tennessee, but he he was young. He gets to improve and grow up too, and he's got a world of talent. Got Will Shipley returning. They've got some... uh, They've got some capable guys on the outside, including Antonio Williams. Jake Brining-Stuhl, a tight end, has been a weapon. They've got guys back on the offensive line, which has been the criticism of Clemson in recent years. Um, you know, just how tough are they on the offensive line? And in all honesty, I think a good case can be made that they've done a brilliant job at times, even with their championship teams, of not letting – maybe some level of deficiency in the offensive line hurt them. Not that all of their players were deficient, but maybe they had holes, they had weaknesses, and they masked them beautifully. Now, as Clemson often does and does again this year, they've got dudes on the other side to try to stop you on defense with yes. Jeremiah Trotter and Tyler Davis and Ruki Ororo, uh, Mukaba, Andrew Mukaba, who's a terrific athlete. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you know Xavier Thomas even returns. He's been around forever. So they're going to be a handful on defense and maybe a second year post Venables has them a little more settled on defense too. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I I guess I'll start on on offense. You you touched on their pedestrian, I would call them, offensive lines that they had kind of that that they'd overcome during their glory years. I just I really think a lot of their issues can be traced to the fact that they haven't restocked that receiver room, Reese, to near what it was when they were really humming. Now again, when they were really humming, it was the best receiver room in the country, right? It sort of went. Clemson had that run. Alabama had the run, and now Ohio State is on the run. Right. Like as like the elite rooms in the country. And I don't know, is there a receiver on the Clemson roster that scares you, that forces you to double team, that scouts think is a top 50 pick? I don't think so right now. I think there's some talented guys. I think there's guys who came in with good reputations. But are there is there a game wrecker there? I don't know if I see one. Do you? Uh, No, Uh, not certainly, certainly not a proven one. Yes. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. Now, I'm not saying Clemson's receivers won't be great and they can't emerge. And obviously, the beauty of college football is things change and evolve very quickly. But right now, going into the Duke game, they don't have a receiver who I think you know can go for 270 and has scouts drooling and scares the pants off opposing defensive coordinators. So that is to me where Clemson isn't Clemson anymore, more than anywhere else. Um, And then at running back, uh, Will Shipley's very good. He's a very good ACC back. Um, I don't think there's a ton behind him. And I think there's a ceiling to Will Shipley. Like he could be drafted. He's a good player. But I don't know if he is, uh, you know, the dynamic back that you're going to see at maybe an Ohio State, Bama, Georgia type guy. I think he's very good. But um, so I just think, Cade Klubnick's development would be more linear if he had better tools around him. And I just think they're okay there. Now, defensively, Trotter and Barrett Carter are dudes, man. They are top 50 draft picks, maybe higher. Like, they are real guys who are dominant, dominant, dominant guys. And so, and I do think they, again, have real guys on their D-line as well. Uh, you mentioned Ruke or a horror. I think it's a row, row, row. A row, row, row. Okay, so forgive me there. Um, I'll, I'll get those. I'll get those right by week one. We're still in week zero. Um, yeah, and I think their secondary is just okay, Reese. Like I think Nate Wiggins is a good young player, but I just it, again, th- their talent has gone from a plus to a minus, and it it just shows in some areas. So over under nine and a half, which seems a little a little bit low. I think it shows a little it little skepticism. Almost, we'll have Stanford Steve on the podcast as the season goes yeah. along. That almost feels like they're begging you to take the over. Yes, and I will take it. Like, there's an argument that this should be a better version of that team. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this is a no-brainer playoff, uh, you know, storm the castle team. But I do think it's a, a better version of what we saw what we saw last year. That Duke game, though, like, I, like. Mike Elko is one of the best defensive minds in college football and Duke is sound. They got a great quarterback. They're left. We'll we'll get to Duke, but like, yeah, I just think past then they can get a groove in if they get past that game, go before Florida state. Charleston Southern Florida Atlantic and a friend of the podcast, Tom Herman before that. And then Florida state. I was going to go Pittsburgh, but since you brought up Duke, and you know that's a natural transition, one of the surprises of the season last year, 
nine and four. Before I go through the normal thing of kind of reminding people what Duke has back, and we're going to pick up the tempo a bit on these teams. If you were starting a team, you could take any quarterback in the ACC to begin it outside of Drake May. Who would it be? We're talking Duke, so you know why I'm asking you. I would, yeah, I would take Jordan Travis, but there's an argument for for Riley Leonard, and that's a strong enough statement to show that at least for Duke to have something to build around, they've got the most important guy to do it. With Riley Leonard, the quarterback, ten starters returning on offense, threw for nearly three thousand yards last year, twenty touchdowns, ran for nearly seven hundred and thirteen touchdowns. Um, so you know they've they've got some running backs coming back, and Jordan Rodgers, uh, Jordan Waters, and Jarquez Moore, Jalen Coleman, all of them gained over four hundred yards, over four hundred fifty yards. Got a couple wide receivers coming back, four offensive line starters returning. They had some experienced starters from the portal, as virtually everyone has tried to do. Um, you know, they've got guys coming back on defense: Dwayne Carter, defensive tackle; R.J. Oban, who had four and a half sacks. Uh, the one thing. The one thing is we evaluate the Duke win total, which stands at just six and a half. They were plus 16 in turnovers last year, and that certainly speaks to uh, to Elko and his different defensive prowess. And, you know, he's got a new defensive coordinator in Tyler Santucci, though you know that uh, he will be intimately involved in the defense. But that's hard to sustain, uh, that big an edge in turnovers. And they – they uh, parlayed that into a nine-win season last year. What do you think of of the Blue Devils? So I really like the Blue Devils because the one thing Mike Elko proved to us in year one is that with solid talent, they will be sound and they will not beat themselves. So um, now the schedule is a little bit harder, right? A lot harder. Um, you yeah. have Northwest. Yeah, you have Northwestern coming there at UConn's no picnic, like we talked about, uh, like we talked about before. Um, yeah, they could be better and maybe not win nine games if if that makes uh, if that makes sense. Um, I think a name we're going to hear a lot this year out of Duke is Graham Barton, the left tackle. Uh, he could end up in, in you know as a, as a first round pick. He's really a guy who scouts are high on early that are doing all their uh, all their early visits right now. Um, yeah, but in Riley Leonard. Again, I'm not saying he's in that like quarterback three conversation we've had a few times here, but Riley Leonard can make stake a case as an NFL prospect, especially for 25. Like if he has another big year and uh, and comes back, so credit to credit to Kevin Johns, the OC there, who really took them from dysfunctional to functional pretty fast on offense. Riley Leonard was just on that roster; like they didn't find him anywhere. He was just a guy who's on there. So they did a, They did an unbelievable job maximizing what they've had. Jordan Moore obviously slid over to wide receiver and has been dynamic for them. He had been in the quarterback room mm-hmm. this time last year. So or right around this time last year. So I, uh, I, I, I see no reason that progress will be impeded in a significant way this year, but I also have a hard time saying Duke's going to go win 11. Um, I will be watching with much curiosity to see how Elko does trying to stymie the Garrett Riley debut. Uh, he and Tyler Santucci on that open that's the Monday night game. That's right. right. Yeah. And uh yeah and, and Wallace Wade, you we all know that these days since Elko uh arrived in Durham, you don't just waltz into Wallace Wade Stadium and stroll out with a victory, not anymore. Yeah. You know be fun to kind of see the crazies there, right? <laughs> like if, if they're back in school. No, I mean it'd be fun to just see Duke football have some juice for a night. And I, I think it will. 
So that that's uh, obviously you have an affinity for Duke because your son played baseball there, and you know the campus culture from from being there dozens of times. Obviously, so I just think that would be fun to see some of that energy channeled into a Wallace Wade. The win total is six and a half. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over barely because of the things that you've mentioned with Elko. I do think they take a step back. One of the things that that you look at when you have the big turnover numbers that I mentioned before, there were 36 fumbles in Duke games, both teams combined last year. That's that's a big number. Duke recovered 24 of them, whether their own or the other teams. Typically, go through mountains of data years around. That number is typically more around 50% because it's an oblong ball and it bounces weird, right? They got about two-thirds of them. Uh, Now, Leonard took care of the football and didn't, uh, didn't throw it away. But he also had a bunch of passes broken up. They were also really ahead of the curve in terms of percentages of passes they had broken up that did not get intercepted. So I think there's going to be a little bit more uh, regression to the mean on the turnovers, which is going to probably push their win total down a little bit. I see probably three games on there that I don't think they'll win. And probably a couple more toss-ups. I'm going to call them to go seven and five, and I'm going to take the over barely, but I think it'll be record-wise, just to your point, a perceived step back. How about Pittsburgh? They won the ACC in 2021, and outside of, you know, in this playoff era, outside of Florida State and Clemson, they're the only ones to win an ACC championship. So here they come, veteran quarterback, transfer from Phil from BC Phil Jerkovic coming in Pittsburgh guy did his best work with Frank Signetti who's the offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh when they were together at Boston College um have a freshman all-american from last year at wide receiver in Kanata Mumford and you know they're going to play good defense uh, with Narduzzi and Randy Bates there what do you think about uh about Pitt one other little note all of their ACC losses last year, they lost three conference games. They had a lead in the second half in all of them. What do you what do you think about Pittsburgh? The over-under for the Panthers is six and a half. So I just believe generally in Pat Narduzzi. I believe he's going to stop you. And uh, Phil Dracovic gives them a dual threat and reunited back home where he's from and then reunited with Frank Signetti, his old OC, I really feel like th- there's enough synergy there to, uh, to that they're going to grind it out. They have a good O-line. Bub Means, the senior receiver, some folks there in the spring told me, was really poised to take a step this year. Phil can obviously get the ball down the field, and I really think that's, uh, that's an important part of this. So uh, I, am, uh, I am bullish on Pitt just because they have proven year in and year out that they will produce sound ACC defenses swing above their weight. Now they always are. They always they they, they can fall in a trap door on occasion. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think there's enough credibility there with with Pat Narduzzi, and they really have a chance that they'll be ranked and hot when Carolina comes there September 23rd. And that could be a statement game for them uh, against Drake May uh, with that. Uh, with that pit defense. And they don't have Clemson. They get Florida State at home. They do have to go to Notre Dame, which is not a conference game, but part of that affiliation that the Irish have to play five games against ACC opponents. Have to go to Duke at the end. I'm going to take the over on Pittsburgh, too. I think they're a proven commodity, too. Uh, that win, win total feels a little low to me. 
You know, Pete, when Miami joined the ACC in 2004, sort of at the height, maybe on the backside of their latest dynasty at that time, and there was a thought that they were about to dominate along with Florida State, although Florida State was in a little bit of a decline at that point late in Bobby Bowden's career. But what's happened has been the exact opposite of that. Miami has not won the ACC. They've played in the championship game one time. Their last conference championship was a co-title in the 2003 Big East season. They finished ranked just four times in the post-Larry Coker era, averaging about seven wins a game or seven wins a season. And they've had five head coaches since then and haven't finished in the top five since 2003. Now, there is good news. They've got 19 starters back. They've got a veteran quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. They've got some uh, difference makers on defense. The bad news is if you've got 19 starters back, according to our friend Bill Connolly's SP+, that was the worst Miami team since 1970. They matched their worst season in 45 years. They've got seven new assistants and two new coordinators. And their billionaire booster, John Ruiz, if you follow the business pages, has hit some troubled waters, shall we say, in terms of uh, the guy who's been responsible for a lot of their, uh, a lot of support in their NIL world. This is a turbulent time for Miami already, in my judgment, in Mario Cristobal's second season. He's brought in Shannon Dawson uh, from Houston, who was with Dana Holgerson previously um, as the offensive coordinator. He's brought in Lance Guidry as a defensive coordinator to replace Kevin Steele, who he didn't really anticipate having to replace when Kevin went to Alabama. But Guidry uh, was at Tulane for a minute and a half, did a good job at, uh, at Marshall. So there's, there's some energy around that. But this feels like an important season early in the Cristobal tenure because if this is mediocre again and doesn't show a lot of signs of improvement, I think there's a real, what do we do now feeling around uh, around that, especially with Cristobal making as many staff changes as he did after year one, which he should do if he doesn't feel like he has the right guys. But it makes it really accelerates the timeline for Cristobal at Miami into this season, I think. Yeah, I think you're right, Reese. And I, and I think that what's interesting to me about the changes is how distinctly the offensive identity switched. Um, you hire Josh Gaddis, who had had success at Michigan. Now, it was sort of Jim Harbaugh's archetype, right? And Gaddis had been a bit of a spread guy at Alabama, kind of, you know, but like you hire somebody from Michigan who won the Broyles and you think you might look that way. And then you go hire Shannon Dawson, who comes from an air raid tree, although they push back on air raid down at Miami because it's an O-line driven program. Uh, and you're like, we're going to be very different. So um, the object the object is to score points. Um, the O-line will be exponentially better. The two true freshmen that they have are uh, are fantastic. Javian Cohen comes from Alabama. So I, I think they couldn't be much worse than they were on the offensive line, right, Reese? And so I mm-hmm. think they're—I think they are trending towards being much, much better there. Um, and then the the reality is, can Tyler Van Dyke be saved by Shannon Dawson? And I think if the blocking is there, that becomes the defining, you know, pivot point for this season. Um, I mean, look, my favorite Miami stat is BC has played in more ACC title games than Miami has. Uh, you know, back from the Matt Ryan era. So there is there has been a lot of teases, uh, like we talked about NC State teasing before. 
Um, that AM game, week two has like a weird amount of games between teams that won't be ranked that are really intriguing. And I don't know how to how to lump those together. We, we've talked about a few of those, but that Miami AM game is really going to be some fantastic theater because there will be panic whoever leaves the stadium that night losing. Um, I, not panic, but there's there will be ratcheted concerns around an offseason of concerns from who, uh, who loses that game. So um, I did Miami spring game, love camp kitchens, right? Like, you know, one of the best players in college football period, best safeties. Um, you know, there are some nice pieces there, but you didn't leave. I didn't leave the spring game that night thinking like, Oh, they've got it figured out. It's like they, it, it felt to me like they need another year to figure it out. Now, again, a lot can change in those weeks. They beat A&M. And then all of a sudden they go Bethune Cookman at Temple, Georgia Tech at home. Like they could get on a run. Um, the, the the talent is there and getting better, obviously. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see as it uh, as it rolls here. The number, the win total for Miami is seven and a half. And as I look at their season at the moment, the A and M game that you mentioned is the difference to me in in over or under mm-hmm. who do you think is going to win that game because they've they're at North Carolina Lewis losable game Clemson at Florida State feel like losses at North Carolina State losable or feels like a loss I'm going to go under I'm going to go under seven and a half barely I think they lose the A&M game and probably finish uh probably finish seven and five yeah I'm which with will be a step up from last year Correct. they were five and seven last yes. year Yes, I'm I'm with you. I don't think they have all the pieces and all the parts to go win eight, nine games right now. They they could, and but there was just too much too much dysfunction there. Um just too much was sideways for it to all be righted and righted and smooth. Um yeah, they obviously really struggled losing three or four down the stretch uh last year. And it is one of those things where they get some early losses and there's some seeds of doubts. It's hard to it's hard to sometimes get those teams that have championship ideas and expectations to really lock in. And that's when you're at Florida State, you're at NC State in November, you have Louisville at home, um, you know, who's going to come and throw the ball around and, and they're going to try to score 60 on you. So and then they close at BC on a Friday at noon uh, after Thanksgiving. So if you're not playing for much, then boy, there'll be a little chilly here. It'll be hat and glove weather. So it'd be it's an interesting test of where the program is. I, I'm really fascinated by Miami this season, Reese. So are you, you're taking the under? I'm going to take the under, yes. Okay. Yeah. First-year coach in the ACC, same win total for Louisville at 7.5. You mentioned Jeff Brom. They'll come in throwing it around, trying to score 60 on you. He has a guy who knows his system inside out at quarterback, Jack Plummer, who transferred from Cal but was at Purdue uh, prior to that couple of small school wide receiver transfers that you figure they're going to be productive because his his wide receivers typically are a few guys to build around on defense including the previously mentioned storm duck uh, they open on a, a Friday against Georgia Tech they they had a bunch of sacks last year but they lost almost all of them uh, to, to graduation transfer whatever it might be. Uh, the schedule's going to help, though. If you look at the schedule for them, they they avoid Clemson, they avoid Florida State, and they also don't have North Carolina. If you if you put North Carolina at least close to that uh, to that category, 
Louisville, how do you feel about them? Which way are you going over or under? So I'm, I like them, but I'm still going to go under. Uh, Jamari Thrash, one of those small school receivers that you uh, mentioned before, I believe he came from Georgia State. When I was through Louisville in the spring, they were very high on Jamari Thrash. He's a guy, I don't know if people play like ACC fantasy football or whatever, but he's a guy who could just go, go pinball this year, considering the way Brom likes to throw it around, et cetera. Um, yeah, I just, I, I worry about them. Uh, I worry about them defensively as you do all all Jeff Brom teams, right? Um, as it comes, obviously, Ron English, he went through a bunch of defensive coordinators uh, when he was at Purdue. Ron English comes down with him and Mark Hagan comes down with him. Um, I'm just not sure that the talent is there, especially uh, especially up front um, in this league. So I, I'm optimistic about the Brom era. If they do win that opener, you know, there's a there's a path to starting four and zero and going to NC State. Uh, you know, late September, maybe even ranked. So, uh, yeah, Jeff Brom can certainly call a play, design an offense, and I think having a quarterback as comfort food will help ease his transition. It will be interesting to see after Plummer cycles out. The best quarterback in the portal should go to like play for Jeff Brom. That shouldn't be a hard sell, right, Reese? Like, so I'll be curious where they can build it from there. Um, but yeah, I'm optimistic, but not, not that optimistic. How about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the under on them too. I figure that they will, um, sort of the track record at Purdue for Brom, who I'm, I'm high on, think he's a, a good coach, but they beat somebody they're not supposed to, but they also lose maybe one that they shouldn't do. They step on a banana peel, step on a rake, hit themselves in the face. And I think certainly in your first year in the transition that that's more likely to happen than not. Wake Forest, Sam Hartman leaves, goes to Notre Dame. Uh, they've got Mitch Griffiths at quarterback who threw out 41 passes last year. Um, they, lo- they lose a lot of dudes. They lose A.T. Perry. Um, they lose one of their leading tacklers in Ryan Smenda. This is a uh, you know this feels to me like a bit of a rebuild year for um for Dave Clawson because I'm not sure uh that their you know their mantra has been get old stay old sort of like as worked for teams in basketball and in terms of experience they're among the 25 or 30 uh, least experienced teams in the country um, they lost four of their last five games in the regular season, had some turnover problems, have to go to Clemson, have to go to Duke. They're at Notre Dame. Um, I I think this feels like a regroup year for Wake Forest. It's six and a half on the win total. I'm going to take the under. You know, I'm going to take the, the over, Reese, and I may be a little bit biased out of some really optimistic uh, things I've heard out of Winston-Salem this summer. Uh, now, Donovan Green, their best wide receiver and maybe the best player in their roster is out for the year. And I would have thought that would have really been, you know, thrown this offense off. Now, they're obviously going to miss him. But uh, I was told that wide receiver is the best position group probably on the team. And Jamal Banks and a few others are, are legit NFL guys. And look, if there's one thing that their receivers have done, it's catch a lot of balls and, and go. So and they've been able to, to lure some pretty high uh, high profile guys there. Wesley Grimes, is the, who's a younger receiver, there's one of the highest rated recruits in school history. So they're old on the line and that line's going to be fine with that funky slow mesh. And I've also just heard Mitch Griffith has been unbelievable this summer. All right. 
unbelievable. So I will be there when they take on the mighty Elon Phoenix that opening Thursday, because we're going to be obviously in Charlotte for game day. So I will, I will get my first look at Mitch as he marches toward the plus six and a half win total. So I'm taking the over. Over there, and from there, we go to the alma mater, Pete. The Syracuse Orange, your alma mater. My alma uh, mater. Got the only one at ESPN who went there, so it's a lonely place. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah you're not alone. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hefty alumni meeting when you guys all get together. Some pretty fascinating coordinator hires for mm-hmm. Dino Babers, who replaced both of them. He elevated Jason Beck, who was his quarterback coach last year, to kind of run the same thing for Garrett Schrader. And he brings in... Uh, a guy that I just have immense respect for in terms of being a defensive guru and Rocky Long, the three three five guru. A lot of the guys, Iowa State guys, many others over the years have drawn from what Rocky Long created defensively. And now it's at Syracuse. I think that might be worth a, a win or so for them. Got an experienced quarterback. Their win totals at six and a half. They get Clemson at home. They do have to go to North Carolina and Florida State, and that, by the way, is a three-week span of their schedule, September 30th, October 7th, October 14th. Clemson at Carolina at Florida State. Rest of it's pretty manageable and home-friendly. I'm going to say they sneak over that total and go over six and a half and get to seven wins. I'm going to take the under. I feel like it, it's interesting. So two new coordinators, but no new schemes, right? Because Jason Beck's going to run a similar system to Robert and I. And obviously they ran the three three five with Tony White, um, who goes to Nebraska. And then Rocky does that. Dino Babers thinks Rocky Long like invented football. He is so fired up to have Rocky Long um, on his. Uh, he didn't just just defense. Yes, he invented exactly. defense. He invented defensive. Yeah. He invented stopping the football, I guess you could uh, say. <laughs> but he's this sort of a salty old coach who I have a ton of respect for. I mean, Rocky Long has made places that haven't won win, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's, that's probably the highest compliment you can pay a uh, pay a coach. So um, it'd be interesting with Schrader. He's I think they've gotten just about all they can get out of him. Like he is who he is. I don't think he can take like a leap and become an NFL prospect or take a leap and be an all league guy. Um, So uh, they have some interesting skill. Aronde Gadsden's a guy who's getting a lot of NFL juice. Who's kind of like a hybrid tight end guy. Um, They're going to throw it around the park. We we know that. And and Schrader's going to run. I I think they will be, yeah, just good enough. Kind of what they've been to go, to go 500. That at Purdue game is pretty interesting, right? Uh, Early. Because if they win that, they're you know they'd be they could go they could be four and zero with Clemson coming to the Carrier Dome um, at, at that juncture, which could be which could be interesting, assuming they can beat Army and uh, Western Michigan. Yeah, that's sort of the that's sort of the linchpin. If they can, and I think they catch Purdue early enough in a regime change there, um, so if they can catch them, they'll they'll be on their way to seven, and we'll see how it goes from there. You went to see Boston College recently, and. BC, which seemed to be generating some momentum under uh, under Jeff Halfway, and then sort of taking a taking a step back with a three and nine season last year. They do return nine guys on offense, but they had all kinds of trouble taking care of the football last year. Minus twelve in turnovers. Um, they do have a number of guys back. Have Dino Tomlin on the roster, uh, Mike. Mike Tomlin's son, BC win totals five and a half. Where are you there? 
I'm going to take the over, and I actually think that's a, it's a pretty good bet. Um, they were they had the worst offensive line run injury wise, Reese, that I'd ever seen last year. Right, like it just felt like every Saturday I was tweeting out a new O line combination for them, and, or talking about it on game day. I mean, they just got they got brutalized, including Christian Mahogany who's their star, uh, star guard, you know, top 50 type prospect. He, he tore his ACL in the summer and it just got worse from there. So, um, Mahogany's back. He looked good, uh, this week when I saw him and then they have a, basically, a two new linemen, one from Texas state. And then Logan Taylor, a six, seven guy comes from Virginia. So they're just, they're just so much better on the offensive line. And I think that gets them back to like baseline functional, which, which makes to me with Northern Illinois, Holy Cross, Army, and UConn on your schedule, you should be able to get to six fairly easily. Um, that's assuming Emmett Moorhead can can continue on some of the nice moments he had last year. The most impressive player I saw on their roster was Ryan O'Keefe, the transfer from UCF, who he's not Zay Flowers, but he had that kind of scoot and boost where, you know, a program that didn't have a receiver drafted since 1987 could realistically have two receivers drafted in consecutive years. So um, yeah, and I think defensively they'll be good. Uh, Rob Chizinski, who's a former NFL head coach, longtime NFL OC, is going to get that offense in a, in a better place where they can maximize what they have. And uh, they obviously have Azar, Abdul Rahim, and Sean Duggan uh, as the DCs now with Tem Lukabu going. Um, you know, Jeff Halfley is going to have a heavy hand in that as well. So I, I really, I'm, I'm optimistic that that they could win six or seven. I, I don't see another three and nine type season. I just, I just think there's, there's too much talent there. They have more underclassmen in the two deep than anybody in the ACC last year. And I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Halfway's. I think he's a, a rising star uh, at, at the head coaching position. You look at the difference in, in the numbers that Pat Garwood put up as a running back from the previous year to last year. He averaged only three yards a carry behind the offensive line. Uh, problems that you mentioned. Missing uh, Clemson and Carolina will certainly help. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't do it, Pete. But I do have to call you out on one quick thing. So you, twice in this podcast, ACC Preview, you've mentioned how uh, Connecticut – is a you know is a sneaky game. Be careful of Connecticut. Now all of a sudden, when it's Boston College playing Connecticut, you yeah. just I know you just rip through that like well, that's not, a, like that's an auto. They're playing them at home, so you should be a seven point favorite at home and win that game. That's that's it. But no, look, I'm I'm going to go through UConn actually uh, this week. So well, uh, I have to I have to make sure uh, my niceties. But look, I thought Jim Moore did an unbelievable job last year, like one of the best coaching jobs in college football. Um, cause they were, you know, and the, it, it's the true case of what the portal can do to revive. Um, I mean, that said, it's, it's bad news if, you know, if you're BC and, and they beat you two years in a row. I think they'll be better, but not, not 500. So I'll, I'll take the under probably, probably looking at, at five and seven, a couple of teams who have uh, run into technical difficulties. If you see what I did there, uh, Virginia tech. Brent Price, second year, seven guys back on both sides of the ball. They've got some, you know, they've got a little competition going. Their quarterback, Grant Wells, the former Marshall transfer, is in there. They got uh, Kyron Drones from Baylor, who's transferred in to try to push him. They got a, uh, they open against Old Dominion, and they now have Ali Jennings, who had over 2,000 yards receiving the last couple of years, um, now playing for them against, uh, which there will be a multitude of, of insert player name here faces his old mates this year with the portal. 
they've they've tried to find a few more weapons in the in the portal. A guy from Middle Tennessee State and Jalen Lane transferred in there. Minus 112 yards per game in conference play a year ago. Just didn't look anything like Virginia Tech. Now, they did have a lot of close losses last year. Four of their losses by three points or less. They did have a one-point win over Liberty. But they were outgained in ACC plays significantly. And they didn't hit 30 points one time last year. Not even, not even against Wofford. Um, they were near the bottom of the country in offensive SP plus and, um, you know, to kind of borrow from the old Bob Euchre line from major league, uh, uh, they lead the league in most offensive categories. One of them being offense last year. It was pretty, pretty offensive. So Virginia tech, uh, the over under for wins is a mere three and a half, which seems ridiculous to say, but it's hard to find. I'll let you go first. It's hard to find four wins for them on the schedule. Yeah, I hope for Brent Pry, uh, who has taken that job on full on, that that they can find four. And I do think there's no reason to think there won't be distinct improvement from uh, f- from last year. The schedule maker did them no favors. I mean, they're going to Marshall and two Rutgers in back to back weeks. Like, if you're a you know an ACC team that has championship aspirations, that is not the way you want to operate. Um, so. Yeah, I think that like that number is like putting us to some pause and some thought. And since I've gotten a little too Vitalian in my overs here, I'm I am probably going to take the under on Virginia Tech because somebody does have to lose, uh, as our dear friend Dick sometimes neglects uh, realizing when he picks his NCAA brackets. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking the under on that too, but I hope they show improvement. And if you haven't seen Andrea Adelson's piece on what went wrong over the last few years at Virginia Tech, um. Fascinating piece it's on very ESPN.com. Good. Yep, um, nice yeah, uh, yeah, she did, as as she often does. Elevator Brent Key, first full season. He went 4-4 four and four as the interim last year. They pulled in Hayes, Haynes King from Texas A&M in the transfer portal as uh, one of their quarterback candidates. Uh, Chris Winkie will be the co-offensive coordinator, along with uh, Buster Faulkner, Andrew Thacker, and Kevin Scherer on the defensive side. Um you know, they brought in receivers from Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia, Dominic, uh, Dominic Blaylock, uh, crossing the clean old-fashioned hate line to play on the other side. Um, got some guys on defense from A&M and Texas in the secondary, including Kenyatta Watson from Texas, who was uh, highly thought of coming out of high school as a recruit there. Um, you know, they beat a couple of ranked teams last year. They beat Pittsburgh. We mentioned earlier they beat North Carolina, but they, you know, they've got to go to Ole Miss in September. They open on Friday night of week one against Louisville. They're at Miami. They're at Clemson, have Georgia at the end. The win total for Georgia Tech, though, is four and a half. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because they did really get that adrenaline shot when, uh, when Key took over. Um, they had been like brutal on special teams. They, and he kind of brought them back to like baseline average, right? Like he, he got what he, sh- what they should have been getting out of that roster. Um, you know, up here, like Keon white of the Patriots has been one of their breakout players of the summer camp. And, you know, he was pretty good at Georgia tech and got, got better, uh, in Andrew Thacker's system as last year went on. But there is a lingering feeling that until Key took over, 
all of their talent was probably not best uh, best exploited. I know people at Nebraska are very optimistic about what Jeff Sims, who started their quarterback for years, can uh, can do. So yeah, Hayes King to me is like a nice game manager addition, right? I think he's like a really a really solid player. And I guess at you said four and a half or five and a half, four and a half, four and a half. Four and a half. I'm going to take the under again. That old Miss, like, oof, man. They need to. Yeah. They need to schedule differently. Like, that's a that's a brutal that's a brutal early game because you could be one and two going to Wake Forest, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're staring at zero oh and two in the ACC, and uh, you know, just a a tough sledding. So the the test for Key will be. He was the adrenaline shot. Now, can you keep that momentum going through a spring, through a summer camp? There's not the urgency of games until now. So it, it'll be. It'll be really interesting to see what he and Buster can can come up with offensively because it was it was pretty tough there offensively for a few years. And that brings us to Virginia win total at three and a half. No idea what they're going to do at quarterback. They have a transfer from Monmouth called Tony Musket, which you know it's probably pretty good for a Cavalier to have a musket as I channel a Mike Leach moment or something. Um, Jay Wolfolk has played a little bit. He's a relief pitcher on the baseball team. Might be uh, more noted for that. Got uh, Kobe Pace, who transferred there from Clemson to play for Tony Elliott, who, of course, you know, was the longtime coordinator at Clemson before taking the job last year. A um, couple other transfers that hope boost them a little bit. Uh, they did a pretty good job defensively last year, relatively speaking, but the turnover margin was rough. Couldn't get the offense going at all. And, you know, now Brandon Armstrong's out, which leaves them in uh, leaves them in a quarterback quandary. The win total is three and a half, and they open in Nashville against Tennessee, and they have James Madison. Then they're at Maryland in the non-conference. They do have Bill and Mary uh, early in October, but if I'm not mistaken, I think William and Mary is a ranked FCS team in the preseason poll. At North Carolina, at Miami, man, I'm taking the under. I mean, I, I hope Tony Elliott does well. He's a, it's a guy I've always enjoyed uh, being around, but it's hard to find a lot of reasons for optimism there based on, uh, based on returning production or expected production. Yeah, I, I agree. Is Tony Elliott, one of the great humans that, that I've run across covering football, um, wonderful guy. You know, this year will go a long way to just sort of projecting what can be pushed forward. I do hope there is there is progress there. I just have a hard time finding where the optimism is rooted in to find that progress. Um, so I will, uh, and plus you open with Tennessee, who could hang 60 on you and really just set you aside for, uh, you know, for, for the rest of the year. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take the under on, uh, on Virginia. So, so am I. And because I've been the one who, when outlining all of these teams mentions the returning starts on the offensive line, and we've, and people are probably tired of hearing about all of the returning starts on the offensive line for Florida state over 200, over 200 for Florida state means that they have nearly Nearly 200 more returning starts on the offensive line than Virginia does. Calculated at 17, and nobody returns who caught a touchdown pass for them last year. I think it's going to be a long year in Charlottesville, but 
Uh, I agree with everything you said about Tony. I hope he does well, and I hope he's given enough time to kind of uh, shape this program in the image that he would like to have it. Um, but any type of small step forward would be progress this year, and the schedule is extraordinarily difficult to try to do that in, in, terms, of, in terms of win total. So that's a look at the ACC, Pete. And on Wednesday, we not only will peek ahead to the SEC, but we'll also have a half-hour conversation with Kirby Smart, the top dog. We'll talk about the upcoming season, also talk about things in the offseason. And also, I want to take the opportunity to let people get to know Kirby Smart. Here he is at the top of his profession, and everybody knows he's a great coach. But do we really know Kirby Smart? You will. You'll know him better at the end of the College Game Day podcast on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the ACC preview and for downloading the College Game Day podcast, which you can do wherever you prefer to get your podcasts.